1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27 is where we're going to find ourselves this morning. And this is going to be the setup for the entirety of this series. Uh, this is going to be the, like, kind of the framework verse for this series uh, as we take the next four weeks to walk through this series called Anatomically Correct. And it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. And it says, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Come over, shout one body. One body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. So just to kind of clarify what that means, Paul's saying no matter who you are, you have a place. Doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your situation, and I think a lot of us can come into a place like this, and we can see people smiling and laughing and having fun, and, and you would say, man, if they only knew my life, if they only knew my situation, and here's the deal, your situation and your life, as important as it is to us, it doesn't matter at the end of the day when it means coming together as a body, as Paul's going to be talking about. So no matter where your background, no matter where you're coming from, because we were all given one spirit to drink, indeed, the body is not one, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged, every shout arranged, arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted so we need to understand something here is that he did it on purpose, all right? He put us together on purpose. Everybody look around. Everybody looking around. Who's next to you? Who's beside you? Who's behind He put us together on purpose. I know for some of us we're like, eh, he could have not, right? But <laughs> he put us together just as he wanted. Verse 19, and if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. You, on the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker and are, are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Today as we begin our series, Anatomically Correct, I want to speak to you from the subject, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. As we look at the purpose of the church as a body. Will you pray with me just one more time this morning? Father, we love you. We worship you. We thank you for everything that you are doing in this place. God, I thank you for the amazing people that call the well home. I thank you for everybody who's gonna gather across all of our services this weekend. I pray that as we, as we read your word, as we worship, as we spend time with one another, God, that you would speak to us in these moments, that you would sharpen us, but more importantly, that you would bring us together as the church that you've called us to be. We love you, would you speak to us right now? Our hearts are soft. Our ears are listening. We need a word from you this morning. So we love you. We give you this space. We give you this time. Would you keep us free from distraction right now so that we can focus in on what it is that you have for us. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, at 9 a.m. shouted. Amen. Amen. I love, I don't know if you're with me on this. Maybe there's a few of you in here. I love knowing how things work. 
Anybody here, just show of hands, how many of you are a fan of knowing kind of how, generically how things work? Where are those of you who are like, I could care less as long as it works? There's a few, yeah, okay, there's a few of you in here. Uh, I love knowing how things work, not, not all things, but most things. I, I like to sit down with people. We were at a dinner on Friday night um, uh, with, a, with a couple from the church, and, and uh, he's in a very different business and industry than obviously I am, considering I'm not in a business or industry. And so I was just pumping questions at him, wondering, like, how does it work? And I'm fascinated by his, by his work and by, and by what he does, because I love to know how, how things work. Um, But even more importantly, I think it's interesting uh, how the body works. And I'm even more fascinated by how that works. I am an injury-prone person, okay? Is there anybody else in here, injury-prone people? Me and Bree, that's it. The rest of you are are awesome. Okay, so, um, but every situation, every time I travel alone, uh, Erica's prayer is that I don't die. That's her her prayer. Um, Because there's been many moments where where it's almost happened. And so... uh, in my, in my journeys of life, I've been injured quite a few times and been hospitalized quite a few times. And in doing so, I've learned more and more about my body and how it works and the way that it's supposed to function versus the way that it's not supposed to function. And so the other day, I was, I was humored as I was with my, my one-year-old daughter on Wednesday. I'm with her all day, and I get to sermon prep and hang out with her, and it's kind of fun. And, and so I put a Netflix show on her. You know those weird Netflix shows that they're coming out with for kids now? Um, with like weird little animals and robot animals and like shapes that talk, which is so wrong. Um, but uh, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. So anyways, I was thumbing through one of these shows and I put it on and, and uh, I give it to her for about like 30 minutes just so I can get like a moment to, to myself to think, right? Without her going, ah, ah, like that's her new noise right now. She sounds like a velociraptor. And so... So I'm chilling with her, and I put this show on, and right away, the minute I put the show on, this song comes on, Head, Shoulders, Knees, and Toes. How many, come on, Sean, how many of you remember Head, Shoulders, Knees, every single one of us? And how many of you loved, you're like me, like, you're like, oh, it's Head, Shoulders, Knees, and Toes. Like, you got excited, you're like, Head, oh, that was the wrong direction, Head, Shoulders, Knees, right? Obviously, I don't know where the body is. Um, and so the minute it came on, I got more pumped than my daughter. Like, all of a sudden, I put my computer down, and I leaned forward on the couch, and I was like, yeah, yeah, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. And Elle's going, ah, 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 like she's like into it. And it was just like this really fun moment. And I remember head, shoulders, knees, and toes being that thing that was used to help small children kind of start to orient where the body was at, right? Head, Shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes, right? You guys remember the song? And then you would try to confuse people and make little children look awful when they were like, oh, right, 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 just like I did. And there was this fun game because we're trying to teach children and ourselves how the body works, right? But at the same time, we're teaching them motion. We're teaching them to be able to, to listen and hear and do all these things. And it's right here in 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul is in essence giving us head, shoulders, knees and toes. He's saying this is how the body the church is supposed to work. Because let's be really honest, many of us, if, we, if, we're, if we're truthful about it, we have a degree of skepticism about the church. Right? We come into a place like this and many of us have been hurt. We have church hurt. Right? We have backgrounds. We have faith backgrounds. We have different faith backgrounds. And we have the way that we grew up with our parents and the things that have been... Uh, instituted into our lives and things that we believe that in some ways are very biblical but in other ways aren't? Have you ever noticed that if you really dive into the Bible, there's so many times where you can look at it and you can go like, 
man, I believe this thing about the Bible, but I can't find that anywhere. We've added weird appendages to the Bible, right? We've added, the, we've added things, and, and, and at the end of the day, we've gotten really confused as how things are supposed to work. And so then you bring all of those backgrounds, we bring all of those things, we bring all of those ideologies and thoughts and processes and, and faith backgrounds and, and systems of behavior. We bring all that in and we pack them all in to a building called the church. And we say, get along. <laughs> right? Make it work. And then if we're honest, how many of you ever bumped into somebody in church before we were like, I don't want to get along. And I do not want to make this work. And so then we leave and we try to go find another place or another place and another place in the system. And I get it because as a pastor, I'm not going to lie. I've had my moments of skepticism and jadedness about the church. For sure. I didn't always grow up in church. But I can, I can tell you some weird stories from church life. Come on, can I get a witness in church this morning? <laughs> I had weird things. And so then you got to step back and you go, God, what, what is this thing? What, what are you trying to build? What are you trying to do? Because Jesus said this interesting statement. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Which is interesting because it tells me that he, he is like really pumped about the church. He's very fond of the church. It's important to him. But we have to remember something. The church is not the walls, the ceiling, the lights, the sound, the carpet, all of those accoutrements. That is not the church. You and I are the church. We're this body of people that he said, okay, I'm going to put you together and you can't say to the other one that I don't need you. And you can't say to this one that they're more important or less important because everybody needs everybody to be the body that I've designed you to be. We've got to make sure that we are attached and working appropriately appropriately because you are the church there is a mission for the church there's a vision for the church and if you're going to do everything that God's called you to do we've got to be the church we got to be the body we got to do it together I want you to turn to your neighbor and say you matter to this place turn to your other neighbor and say I don't know you <laughs> some of you are like exactly and so I think that it's vital that we always visit the purpose of the local church and specifically the well, right? And here we are entering the fall season with so much on the horizon as we look to step into all that God has in front of us. We spent the past eight weeks, more, the, more than that, like as we were in our Ephesians series, so we dug deep biblically and got into a book of the Bible. The past eight weeks we've spent talking about relationships. Come on, how many of you got something out of our relationship series around here? And so now I am going to take the next four weeks and we're going to dive into the church. And specifically us here at, at the well. And there's all kinds of amazing churches in this valley doing all kinds of different things with their unique thumbprint, with their unique style, with their unique way of doing things. And we celebrate them and we honor them and I'm friends with so many of those pastors but as the pastor of this place, I need to make sure that I lead us strategically into this new season that we're going in and what it means for every single one of us to be a part of what we see described here in 1 Corinthians, the body. The body. You're a part of it. We make it up. And I don't know if you're like me, but how many of you want to be a part of a strong body? I want to be a part of a strong body. And so we're going to look at that. So today we're going to be looking at the church as a movement. As a movement. In other words, what does it look like if the church, the body, is working 
operating and doing what it's supposed to be doing. Head, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. If it's working, if it's moving the way that it should be moving, what does that mean for and what does that mean for you and I? Because each week over the course of the series, we're going to be looking at one of four functions of the church, the purpose behind that function, the part that we play within that function. And so I want to be very clear on this before we get to the points today. You matter. Now, but you don't know where I'm coming from, Jason. Doesn't matter. You matter. You don't know what last night looked like. It's all right. You matter. But you don't know how much struggle with my faith and I doubt God. It's okay. You matter. I don't even know if I want to be here. That's okay. You matter. I don't know if I can sing on key with the rest of everybody else. It's okay. We'll turn it up louder. <laughs> you matter. <laughs> you matter. If there's ever a weekend, if you don't hear anything else out of the rest of this message today, I want you to hear this. You matter. You are a part of this thing. Because it's not about someone's giftedness. It's not about their thing or they're cooler than this. It's not about that stuff. I've never said to any part of my body, well, you're cooler than the other one. Right? I mean, some of us maybe have. It's a weird conversation to have with yourself. But I've never spent a Thursday comparing my feet and my hands. Oh, feet? Large feet? Why can you not be like my hand? Like, we don't have those conversations. That is an awkward and weird conversation. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't do that. So what does it mean for the body then to be the way the body is supposed to be? i got four things that I want to look at today. Come on, everybody help me out. Everybody shout number one. The first thing is this, is that we've got to know God and make him known. Come on, we got to know God and make him known. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. One of my most favorite pieces of scripture because illegal activity happens here. <laughs> I'll explain and they're like, what? That's weird. Um, you'll see in a minute. Verse 17, it says, On one of those days while he was teaching, Jesus was teaching, it says, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and lowered him in on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. I don't know if you've ever shown up to our 11 a.m. service before and you're trying to get in, right? <laughs> you were like 10 minutes late and so all the seats are back there and the ushers are like, I've got two seats and you're like, nope, uh-uh, I want to sit right here where I'm at. And it's packed to the brim and everything's happening. When was the last time you considered getting on the roof and lowering yourself down? I would advise you don't. We have a security team. They'll take you out. So, um... <laughs> But this is what these men did. They had a friend who was paralyzed. And they had heard this rumor that Jesus had the power to heal. How many of you guys in here have a crew of dudes that would do this for you? Like there, there's like probably not much happening up here. But they get together and they come up with the craziest schemes ever. How many, how many of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? They're like, Joey, he's paralyzed. We got to take care of Joey. Right? We got to get Joey to Jesus, because if Joey gets to Jesus, we're going to be good. 
We're going to be good. Frankie, Paulie. Let's grab Joey and let's get him to Jesus. Paulie, I think that's a good idea. Frankie, you got him? I got him. Pick up. Pick him up. So we go and they pick him up. Paulie. What, Frankie? The house is full. The house is full. It's like a Sunday night dinner in there or something like that. What do we do? Oh, oh Frankie. <laughs> Frankie, I got an idea. I got, I got an idea. I got an idea. What's that, Paulie? Take him to the roof. What are we going to do on the roof, Foley? Remember that one night in Jersey? <laughs> yeah, Frankie, I remember that night. It's the same thing. We're going to break in. <laughs> Watch what happens. <laughs> In our Italian gospel. <laughs> Seeing their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you or to say get up and walk. So this is what Jesus does. Not only does he forgive the man's sins, but he says, but... So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. See, Frankie and Paulie, they just needed Joey to know Jesus. And because Joey knew Jesus, Joey was set free, and he was healed. And see, when the body is working the way that it's supposed to be working. We are knowing God and we are making him known. We are knowing God and we are making him known. We seek to know God and making him known. Missional integrity is the product of getting this right. Yet it's amazing how many times we get this wrong. It's interesting how we can make it sometimes just simply about knowing God, right? We want to get intellectual, we want to get deep, and we want to study the Greek and the Hebrew. And those are all great things, but so many times we can get buried in just knowing God that we don't make him known. But then other times we can just make it about making him known, and we are, a, we are an inch deep and a mile wide. Never digging into what it is that we need to dig into to understand things. But here's the thing. It's not a dichotomy. We both know God and make him known. We know God and make him known. See, Frankie and Polly heard about Jesus. And because they heard about Jesus, they needed to get Joey in front of Jesus. Because they knew, they had heard, if Joey was before Jesus, Joey was going to get up and walk. And we got a whole valley of people that need to understand that there is a living God who has the power to heal and rescue and unite and perform miracles. We got to get Joey to Jesus. So if you need a hashtag today for this message, just hashtag Joey to Jesus, all right? 
And so when the body is working appropriately, we're both knowing God. This is what corporate worship is for. We know God, we come into a place and we discover his character and his nature and we worship him together. But you know what? Church is not just Sunday. It's not. This is the, this is the like the pep rally. Right? Just go. Just go. We get excited. We, get, we rally up. And then what do we do? We go back into the world that we've been called to love. And we help Joey find Jesus. We help Joey find Jesus. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. Come on, somebody. Follow me. Know me. And then I will make you fishers of men. He was saying, follow me, know me, because this is necessary to make me known to others. Number two, come on, have a shout, number two. Second one is this, is that we've got to find freedom and administer hope. We know God, we make him known, but we've got to find freedom and administer hope. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we've known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet we no longer know him in this way. Verse 17 is what I want you to hear this morning. Therefore, if anyone, come on, every shout anyone. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Come on, that's a good place to say amen. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I don't feel new, Jason. If anyone is in Christ. Have you put your faith in him? Have you put your trust in him? If you put your hope in then you are a new creation. It doesn't feel like I'm a new creation. Feels like I keep making the same mistakes, but you're still a new creation. And just because we're tripping up the same way that we normally had doesn't mean that we're not a new creation. It just means we haven't learned how to work the new creation. But if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. That's good news, right? That's amazing. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then watch what he says, and then he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, we find freedom in Christ, and then we administer that hope to others. I want to be an ambassador of hope to the world around me. What if we, I want to ask you this question, this question has been like just plaguing my mind this week in a good way. And this is, I couldn't wait till Sunday to ask this one question. I may just stop the service after this one question. Not really, I got two more points, but um, here's the question I want you to write down and think about this. What if we were to declare that this year was a year of freedom for every single one of our lives? I know for some of us right now, we're like, well, that's not a big question. Think about it. What are, what are you yet freed up from? What if this year was a year of freedom for every single one of our lives? Freedom from our past freedom from our addictions, freedom from our hang-ups, freedom from the things that are going wrong in our marriages and in our workplaces. What if, what if we declare that this year internally within me is a year of freedom, and from that freedom, I then administer hope? How many of you know that a good doctor recommendation is worth its weight in gold? Right? I was talking to my, my wife this morning, and she wants to get her hair did next week. She has a person that she goes to, somebody that we're really, really close with. And I was like, well, we're traveling this week and we have some space. Why don't you find somebody and get your hair done from them while we're, while we're in Portland? And I was trying to be nice. Somebody just said it. Uh-uh. 
you thought I would have just asked her to get rid of our children. <laughs> she goes, uh-uh, you never go to anybody that you don't know. <laughs> Come on, and all the ladies said, <laughs> hey, um, so... <laughs> You just don't do that. It's just like, apparently, it's a cardinal sin. And I was like, well, isn't that what Yelp's for? She said, mm-mm. Not when it comes to the hair. <laughs> right? <laughs> I threw Yelp underneath the bus for her there. Here's the deal. When we find freedom in our lives, then the news that we declare about how good God is becomes even weightier in the world that we find ourselves in. Why? Because I'm finding freedom, so I'm declaring freedom. What if those of us in this room, in this, in this church this weekend, who are struggling with, with addiction, what if we got freed by Jesus from our addictions, and we started shouting it from the rooftops, that I got free in Jesus? Come on, somebody. How many of you know people start running to Jesus? The Joey star fun. Man, I was, my mind was all over the place and I was struggling with this, that, or the other, but there was this prayer. There was this moment during this worship. There was this moment in table group. There was this moment as I was studying these things and Jesus got really personal with me. And literally, all of a sudden, the confusion and the fogginess and the clouds, it lifted and all of a sudden, I am a new person. I'm operating as a new creation. Come on, somebody. How many of you know that changes the world around us because we bring a hope that we're experiencing? And what frustrates me right now in the world that we live in is that Christians are not bringing a hope to the world. We're bringing debate to the world. <laughs> We're squabbling over little things that don't matter. At the end of the day, when I drive our streets and I sit in coffees and meetings and I listen to what's going on in people's lives, the things that we're debating about and conversing about and posting about, all those things don't matter. Could we be the type of people that find freedom and administer hope? That's what the church, the body is when it's working appropriately. I want to preach today. We've got to find freedom. We've got to administer hope. You know what I love about Cynthia's story? Is that the greatest degree of freedom that she found was in a small group. Not in a large gathering. The large gathering's awesome. I love Sundays. I love laughing with you and crying with you and singing with you and all those different things. Baptizing. We're baptizing six people after the 11 a.m. service. Today. Come on, somebody. I love that. But there's something special that happens when we can sit together in a small group and go, this is what I'm going through. And I know Cynthia personally, to see her live in the freedom that she's living in now is a product of Jesus working through people. We find freedom and we administer hope. Can we be hope dealers? Come on. Come on. Just, what you doing today? I'm just slinging hope on the streets. You get hope, you get hope, you get hope. <laughs> Gonna lose my job after this message. <laughs> Come on, Rashad, number three. Number three, the third thing that we have to do in order to be a properly working head, shoulders, knees, and toes, a properly functioning body is we've got to discover our purpose and purposely live. We've got to discover our purpose and purposely live. First Timothy 1, 3 through 7 says this, I thank God whom I serve. 
with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. What I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. So this is Paul talking to Timothy, how much he just can't wait to be with him. Then he says this, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And now I am convinced is in you also. But then watch what he says, therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of hands. Why would he remind Timothy to rekindle something? You only rekindle something that has gone out. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound judgment. Paul was talking to a young man whose gift, the light of his gift had gone out. We don't know why. We've got some ideas as to why. Timothy would have to be reminded by Paul to stir up the gift that was inside of him. But if I can just preach for a second this morning to this church, this body of people who's been called for such a time as this, you may be sitting here this morning and that gift that God put inside of you may be lying dormant, but I'm here to declare this morning that this is a new season. It's a season that you're going to step into where you've got to stir up the gift that is inside of you. God's put that business in you. He's put that musical gift in you. He's put that lead leadership gift on you. He's given you the ability to change the world. Stir up the gift, somebody. Why? Because you are purposely designed by God to purposely live. To purposely live. So you've got to discover your purpose in so many. I think one of the greatest plagues that is facing our generation is that we got a bunch of people who don't believe that they were created on purpose. You see it in people's eyes. Like I got no purpose. Some of us are performing functions in our in our occupation and so on and so forth, where we believe that that's our purpose. But the problem is, is that just a function? Your purpose is so much greater than your function. Some of your amazing businessmen and women, artists, educators. Athletes, parents. And you say, well, this is, this is my purpose. The problem is, is that so many times we can trade function and purpose. And we can believe that because function is going well that somehow I'm in my purpose. Yet for many of us, I bet you if we were honest, we would sit back and we'd go, there's still this hole. There's still more to me. We've got to discover our purpose and purposely live. But some of us are in our purpose, and I want to submit this thought to you this morning. Your place is your pulpit. That boardroom, it's your pulpit. That classroom, it's your pulpit. That living room with the kiddos as a stay-at-home mom, that's your pulpit. That field, it's your pulpit. That doctor's office, it's your pulpit. Come on, that call center, it's your pulpit. That yard that you're working in, it's your pulpit. That roof that you're fixing, it's your pulpit. That wall that you're painting, it's your pulpit. I used to paint when I got out of Bible college. I became a commercial painter. I hated it. It was awful. And this is what made me hate it. They put me on a prison job. So I painted the corridors 
between the courthouse and the prison that was on the same, same property. And I kid you not, it was floors and floors and floors of gray railings and Pepto-Bismol pink paint. I was on that job forever, it felt like. And it was at night, too. And I had this 18-inch roller in my hand and this big old long thing to hold the roller. It's a stick that attaches to the roller. <laughs> and I'm slinging Pepto-Bismol paint up and down these walls. Up and down these walls. And I still remember being grumpy about it. These people know I went to Bible college. I'm smart. I got an education. I know the Bible. What am I doing in here? What am I doing right here? Painting Pepto-Bismol paint. This is ridiculous. And it was in that stairwell that God convicted me of something that I forgot to realize. That the paint was my pulpit. The paint was my platform. And I started to pick my head up and realize who was around me in that moment. And I said, if I can't preach to the body, I'm going to preach to the person who's a part of the body that doesn't know it yet. And so I started slinging Pepto-Bismol paint. I said, hey, you want to talk, bro? I'll paint right next to you. We started having conversations, and I'll tell you what, some of my best messages were preached in that stairwell. Some of my best messages were preached in those offices. Oatmeal creamy colors and Pepto-Bismol paint colors and all this stuff. That was my best messages. My best messages were after I got done painting, I'd go sit with some of the guys that I painted with at this little restaurant called Sherry's. It was just a dive, and we'd eat french fries and talk about Jesus. And I got to hear where people were coming from in those moments. Why? Because all of a sudden I realized that it doesn't matter where I'm at. Just where I'm at is my pulpit. And some of us in this room today are believing that we're not living with purpose. Can I tell you, can I shout at you right now that where you are at is your pulpit. So love Jesus, love people, make them know and discover your purpose and live purpose. And the last one is this, and I end on this. If the body is doing what the body is supposed to be doing, it will make a difference, and it will change our city. It will make a difference, and it will change their city. This is the scripture that I'm believing over our church this year. Acts chapter 2, 41 through 47. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. You ever said to yourself, I wish the church could just stay small? It's not biblical. It's not biblical. Healthy things grow. And people, 3,000 people were added to them that day, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, hanging out community, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. And now all the believers were together and held all things in common. And they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. But here's the problem. So many times as the church grows, it's not good for the city. It becomes a parasite on the city. 
legendary pastor who's written many books. His name's Erwin McManus, if you've ever read any of his stuff before. Amazing communicator. Planted a church in L.A. And he talks about how he was speaking with civic leaders and city officials. And they were in love with their church. They were in love with Erwin. Man, we love you guys so much. But we've heard your church. They were getting ready to get a new building. As we get ready to aim towards north and getting that location off the ground. Come on, church. we got a lot of stuff in the works right now. They're trying to get this building. They're trying to make this thing happen. And the civic leader said, Erwin, can you please, watch what he says, can you please not allow your church to grow anymore? And he said, why? Why would we do that? She said this, because every church that seems to grow ends up hurting our city in ways that it couldn't hurt it when it was smaller. wonder if the well could be a body of people who brings refreshment to the city that we find ourselves in. We named this church the well for a very specific purpose because we said anybody and everybody is welcome to draw water from the well. Anybody and everybody is welcome to come to this place and get what it is that they need from Jesus. Anybody and everybody can come get the miracle that they need, the hope that they need, the life that they need, the love that they need, the community that they need. But then when you come to the well, we hope you're changed at the well. And what you draw from the well, you bring into your part of the city. And so that's why we're going north. That's why we're going to go south. That's why we're going to go east. That's why we're going to go west. Why? Because we want to refresh our city. We want to love our city. We want to be for our city. We want to bring hope to our city. Why? Because we're the well. We're the body. And saying head, shoulders, knees, and toes. When we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, the city has changed. Lives are changed. Hope is found. Grace is given. Addictions are broken. People's lives are set free. Why? Because we are the body.